BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. My family thinks I'm crazy. podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most. Because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, and it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah, so who are we talking about today, Matt? For centuries, a battle has been waged between dark, shadowy factions. We've heard of the devil, Satan, and Lucifer. But have you heard of Moloch, the alleged true identity of Satan, an old world god who demands sacrifice and whose only bliss lies in the fathoms of oblivion? Whichever the evil is, both are certainly lesser in beckoning the apocalypse. Ian Ferguson, who joins me, Mystic Mark, here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this conversation with Ian Ferguson. Very much focused on themselves. And whereas Moloch wants to keep humans down on a material level, Lucifer is the opposite. Lucifer believes in liberty, 
Lucifer is the most high. That's where there's also a crossover between the most high and Lucifer. But liberty and freedom and free will, Moloch hates that. Lucifer endorses that. Moloch says might makes right. Lucifer says, no, let's have contracts. Now, contracts still imply fear and doubt and a lack of trust, but it's an advancement over just the guy with the biggest club is the only one who gets to make any decisions. Contracts allow us to have a level of cooperation that we can't have without that. So meritocracy is something that the Luciferians are really big into. But they even have that attitude to the point of social Darwinism. Love your book, kid. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. And with me today for the first time is someone who I've just come across. He just came across my radar, Sam Tripoli. The great Sam Tripoli asked me, hey, you got to get this guy on the show. And I looked at his YouTube videos and I thought, holy crap, how have we never heard of this guy before? He's covering some amazing stuff. And he's he's talking to not just great guests, experts, friends, Peter Shampoo, who I've had on the show a couple times. You've also interviewed. So it's nice to meet you, Ian, friend of a friend. It's a pleasure to have you here on my show. Welcome to the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast. Wow. Thank you, Mark. And it's perhaps... I thought the Tinfoil Hat podcast was appropriately named for me to go on, but then I found yours, which is even more on the money and starts to feel like, are you attacking me personally? Yeah, man. Thank you so much for that like wonderful introduction. It's funny, you know, I have been thinking about these kinds of things and researching and studying things since really the 90s. But, you know, when, when 9-11 happened, I, that same day, like, you know, once the shock kind of wore off and it took, you know, 12 hours or whatever, but once it was in the evening, you know, we played me and my buddies. I was in college at the time. Me and my buddies played a lot of World of, or excuse me, not World of, but Warcraft 2, from which later World of Warcraft comes from. It's the second thing, the franchise. And it's a fighting game and you build bases with orcs and dragons or elves and men or whatever it is, depending on which side you are. And you fight each other. And I said to the guys, hey guys, what's the first thing you do on Warcraft 2? And they're like, well, you build arrow towers. And I was like, why? And they said, well, because if the other guy builds an air force, right, dragons or griffin riders, and you don't have arrow towers, you're just dead. And I said, yeah, right? And they said, yeah, absolutely. Why are you saying that? And I said, why wasn't there pop-up surface air missile sites at the Pentagon? And how did planes not intercept that? And my friends all visibly paled, like the blood drained from their face. They looked down, their jaws dropped, and they just sat there like silent for a minute. And then one of them starts shaking his head and he goes, no, 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 no. There's no way that would mean the government was involved. And I said, that didn't answer my question, though. You know, like I hear what you're saying. And yeah, that is horrifying. I don't think we should rule that out. I think we should see what's up, but that doesn't make any sense. And so that started a, a long <laughs> A long process of where it didn't sit right with me. I researched it. I came across Mike Rupert's work. May he rest in peace. Great American hero. A lot of people don't know who he is. Cop versus CIA. He's the guy who went after the CIA director about the cocaine and crack cocaine problem in LA and how the CIA was feeding it to LAPD, who was feeding it to the gangs and all that stuff. He confronted, he was an ex-LAPD guy, and he confronted former director of the CIA 
about exactly that. And then he was all over the 9-11 thing. And, you know, he ended up dying under kind of mysterious circumstances many years later. But, you know, Mike Rupert was in a lot of ways, along with the man who wrote Behold a Pale Horse, I'm blanking on his name right now, Bill Cooper. Cooper, yeah. Cooper. Yeah, another great American hero. He called 9-11 beforehand. I happened to catch that. He said, now the Bush is in, it's going to happen. There's going to be a terrorist event. They'll probably blame it on bin Laden. It'll be used to share a police state. And then it happened. And then, of course, he got killed by SWAT team in October of 2001 after he was going off on his radio show. And he was Alex Jones before Alex Jones. And a lot of people don't know who he is. And actually... He really didn't like Alex Jones, and Alex Jones is a very divisive figure. I'm aware that he's put out a lot, a lot of truth over the years. I also feel like he's discredited things by his involvement and by his hyperbole and just demeanor. Like, for example, the classic turning the frogs gay thing, which is the favorite thing people throw in his face, right? Like, that's real. Atrazine does cause spontaneous sex change in frogs. It also seems to cause sexual behavior among frogs. And as we're coming out to talk about that, and then when Alex Jones picked it up, it immediately discredited the mainstream, which is funny because the the doctor who discovered it was a black man. And if he had been allowed to talk to the media, he would have had additional credibility, right? Because he's a black man celebrated by the leftist media, right? He would have had a lot of credibility, but instead you have a white, white guy blowhard come in, freak out about it, and you just have that little clip turning the frogs gay, and atrazine company is like... That could have been a lawsuit, baby, you know? And so he he came out, you know, in the 80s or 90s, and William Cooper, they both lived in Texas, and William Cooper initially wanted to, like, mentor Alex Jones because Alex Jones was, like, in his 20s or early 30s back then. But William Cooper then was of the opinion, you can find video up, although almost all the videos cut into nasty other things, but you can find video or audio of William Cooper saying that he believed that Alex Jones was an, an intelligence asset. I don't know that, you know, like he's done a lot of good work. He's done a lot of stuff that I feel like we ought to be grateful to him for. But I also wonder if he hasn't discredited a lot of things, like with the way in which he goes about things, the constant shilling of doomsday prep stuff, you know, that kind of stuff, I think, undermines his credibility. And I and I go up and down about Alex Jones, but William Cooper, Wrote, wrote Behold a Pale Horse, and uh, he called 9-11. And so this caused me to start to, like, really go down the rabbit hole. And I had figured out by end of 2001 a lot of things that are currently unfolding because I went deep into, like, real fringe, you know, conspiracy stuff. And I found out things like, and again, I actually have to give credit to Alex Jones here. Alex Jones was who helped me find the lead on that nobility runs things or that people who are occultists runs things more specifically with the Bohemian Grove video, right? Which I would argue is probably the greatest thing Alex Jones has ever done because nobody else has gotten in there that I'm aware of. And, you know, they have that giant owl statue there, which is the feminine representation of the god Moloch. And so, yeah, I mean, I've been going down these rabbit holes for a long, long time. And my family does think I'm crazy by and large because of it, because I've tried to be honest with them. And it's out there information that's outside the mainstream. And a lot of them, they just, they don't want to hear it. They don't care what the evidence is. It's too horrifying, the prospect, you know. Wow. You either listen to my show before or you're psychic because I usually ask that question at some point in time and you got off right to the races. 
does your family think you're crazy? <laughs> Not all of them. My mother, bless her heart. I went through a divorce right, right before COVID hit. And we were having serious problems with the landlord who was like a psycho, worst landlord I've ever had in my life. And so me and my ex-wife actually uh, temporarily, the plan was to temporarily to move into my mom's house. I literally lived in my mom's basement, like any good internet troll conspiracy theorist, right? Except for it was in my forties, very embarrassing. So what that allowed me to do was to end up launching my business and getting out of debt. But I lived with her during the pandemic pandemic and went through a divorce and then the pandemic was happening and I'd keep telling her stuff and then it would happen. And she would go at first, she, she would get really upset, like almost filled with rage about some of the things I'd be saying because it was to her so scary and she felt like irresponsible, you know? And uh, then I kept being right over and over and over and over and over and over again. And eventually she was like, holy shit, man. Like, I think you're I think you might be right about some of this stuff. And she was like, and that's really scary. And I was like, hey, it doesn't mean that we're screwed. This has always been true for thousands of years that quite nasty people have run things. And people have managed to live on the margins and be just fine. Even during the worst of times, people have survived that. Much worse than our current times, actually. And so she now believes me and... Yeah, she's probably the only one. I do have a, one of my one of my sisters. She's kind of like comes at things from like a Republican Christian background. You know, she she grew up in the same Democratic household that I did, but she then became Christian and more religious. And she's she's largely on board with me, but through a very partisan Republican lens. Like had had things had the vaccine rolled out and like Trump was still in office, she probably would have taken it. For example, you know what I mean? Because the she a lot of people it seems who are kind of like on the right side of history let's be honest they just got lucky they got lucky from a purely partisan point of view because if you recall when trump was in office a lot of the democrat talking head people were saying i don't trust the vaccine that trump makes even though it's the exact same vaccine they all were like trying to force on everyone's throat a few months later but this was prior to the election right Right. Talking about a potential Trump vaccine. If you go back and look, a ton of the Democrats were saying, oh, don't take that. It's suspect. It could kill you. Blah, blah, blah. Tuskegee. All the kind of stuff that are very valid and concerns about it. It's rushed, blah, blah, blah. But suddenly that all was wiped away when Biden got in. Right. And they completely switched teams. And so a lot of people who are on kind of the right side of history right now, they got lucky or unlucky in that they're going to be that they are targeted. And so since they're targeted, they're aware of that and they are, you know, pushing back on things. You know, I used to think it's crazy to me how much stuff I heard when I was a kid in the 80s that sounded absolutely batshit insane and like this far right nonsense that was just made up out of whole cloth. And, you know, I I, I was so far left, I, you know, I, I consider myself kind of an anarcho-syndicalist. I'm, I'm basically, I don't like people having authority over one another, but I do like the idea of people working together. But I'm like a, I used to be a super far lefty, if anything, right? And was very much, and, and I haven't changed my principles one. I know that I still care about the environment. I still believe men and women and people of color, and regardless of your orientation, that we should have equal access and equal representation under the law. Equal financial, you know, rules and regulations, no redlining, none of this stuff. You know, we need to look at poverty versus race with how people are getting to prison. I still believe in all that stuff. But the Democratic Party is completely, in my opinion, completely lost its mind and has gone just completely not so. 
And so, you know, a, a lot of people, I think, would see what's going on if it was coming from the other party, perhaps. But it's it's just it's it's one of the real tragedies of what's happening is that people are letting partisanship blind them about what's unfolding because it's very much we're all in this together. Those Democrats who are talking crap to you, they actually are under the the gun just like you are. In fact, they might already be dead. Mm. You know, they may have one of these turbo cancers that's coming up with these vaccines. And so, yeah, I'm not sure what sparked me into getting into that. I guess just, oh, you asked about family. Yeah, so it's kind of like a long partisan line, cool. sadly. And most of my family are Democrats, and they think I'm crazy. And I'm glad you you answered in such an elaborate way. I want to just comment before I ask you a different question. It seems like the, the partisan, you know, divide and conquer, two wings of the same bird has been sort of the new substitution for maybe the old dynamic of authority versus the the common people and maybe like whoever was in the you know castle and whoever you know was in the mansions and the kingdoms would be sort of a buffer between the common people and the elites and somewhere along the way they wised up and realized okay they're just going to revolt and chop our heads off. So let's turn them against each other. And we'll yep. stand back here and we'll watch. And when they screw up and fight each other, we'll say, oh, you know, here's what you should do instead. And each time they set up one of these fights between the partisans, you know, whether it's this group of people versus this group of people or this political party versus this political, you know, it doesn't matter the categories, the the, the function is what's really essentially keeping us in this bed of control, I think, you know, keeping us always guessing and fearing for our safety and, you know, evoking that reaction, you know, that you saw in your mother where you were giving her rational, historically accurate truth. Like, hey, this has happened before. People have survived. We'll be okay. And she responded with rage, not because she was right and you were wrong, but because she you know, has been entrained for through her life to have that response. And, and, you know, not just your mother, my mother and every, you know, for the most part, a lot of people that listen to this show have had that experience with their family over the past few years and even beyond, you know, before that, I remember my great, my grandfather calling me a bleeding heart liberal because I told him the Iraq war was wrong and had nothing to do with 9-11. And he, he would say, oh, well, you just don't understand. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. You're being like brainwashed 24-7. So anyways, yeah. there, there there's so many, you know, political pitfalls that we don't, we don't need to spend too much time on on that but there have been so many like weird stories coming out lately it, it makes you wonder what they're sort of prepping for or maybe covering up right we, we sort of got into talking about what happened in ohio before we started recording you want to share what you what your thoughts are on on what you've seen unfold there yeah and i mean we can talk about <clears throat> potential conspiracy element as well. But I think first and foremost, the most important thing is this one really, I'll be honest with you, Mark, this one really has hit me hard. And I'm actually about to put up a, a video where I, where I talk about this and also the UFO and balloon stuff, which we can get into today. And, but I go into a lot of detail that, on that and the episode I'm about to put up, but I talk about 
this disaster in Ohio. And I'll be honest, for some reason, this has really hit me emotionally. It's hit me emotionally in a way that no kind of big event has since that. Do you remember the big pipeline thing, you know, on the yes. Native American land? Yes, yes, right? yes. That one really hit Standing me too rock. on a deep level, just because I think it was you know, that archetypal thing of just running roughshod over, you know, our, our Indian brothers and sisters here and just the pain around that. I, I am very, a very small part Native American, but the main thing is my father really taught me that from a very early age of how badly we had harmed, you know, the Native American population here, like with through colonialism. And he did it in a very visceral way, way beyond what I was reading in books. And he spent a lot of time actually helping people get alternative sources of power, like solar energy and so forth on some of the Native American reservations. And so he was very committed to it. And, you know, I really do feel like we as a country need to do a better job of engaging and helping our Indian brothers and sisters. So that really hit me hard, that no dapple pipeline thing, the Dakota Access Pipeline. I also am aware of like energy, you know, the need to have energy independence in the Middle East. And it's a complicated issue. And I have a perhaps more nuanced view than I did at that time, but I was very emotionally struck by that. But this has hit me much harder. This is probably the worst one for me personally on an emotional level. Something about it is deeply unsettling. And I think what it is, is I have a feeling that a red line has been crossed and this is, and it's one of those things that's both figuratively and literally true. So it's fig literally true, as I like to say sometimes. This is a watershed event it's poisoned a vast, vast, vast watershed from the Ohio River down through like the Tennessee drainage. Like that might be okay because it's up above, I think. It's impacting West Virginia massively. It's going to eventually pour down into where it connects to the Missouri and the Mississippi. And I can't help but notice like a deadly carcinogen ejected directly into like the one of the major arteries of the country, you know, that has a lot of symbolic hit. It's also from East, you know, it's also East Palestine. So there's symbolism there. And I suspect that this was not a natural event. But what I think the most important thing is, is that we have to come together as a country for once and demand that we help the people and the wildlife. It may be that the environmental aspect of this is just gone and there's nothing that they've done. I imagine we can clean up and that will help. And I mean, we must. Because this is going to impact literally millions and millions of people. It's already impact wildlife, you know, huge fish die-offs, farm animals dying, people's pets dying, you know, that are like family to them. And the people have been told to go back. There's no way that it is safe for those people to go back there. They are lying and it's democide. It is death by government. And yes, we need to demand accountability. Yes, Buttigieg and Biden and this train company. And, you know, I've heard that it was maybe a Chinese chemical company that had ordered these chemicals, which is curious. You know, there's some there's various different things that need to be looked into and we must demand accountability. But let's get these people some help right right now. That means evacuation. That means making sure they have clean water and food. There's 5 million people in West Virginia alone that are impacted by the water of this. We have to help these people. We have a responsibility. This is a tragedy that, that I think will end up being the worst tragedy in American history when all of a sudden done other than the, the, the jab, right? But 
other than the jab, like in terms of something that's like a disaster, right? And we don't know whether it's premeditated or not at this point. You know, there's maybe people who have solved it one way or the other, but I don't have enough information to comment on if this was intentional or not. It looks like it was, it feels like it was, but I don't know that for sure. But what I do know for sure is that we have got to get help to these people right away. We've got to provide them with shelter. We've got to provide them food and water and medical services right, right away. And we've got to just focus on that aspect of things, get that rolling, and then we can nail all the people to the wall that we need to. We do also need to be alert for patterns. There's been other derailments. I've heard people say that those that couple of derailments happen almost every day in America, which is kind of horrifying. I've heard that like they that they, you know, have hugely cut back services because they mandated the jab. And so a lot of people quit that there's just a lot of stuff that's been, you know, put down there. I've heard dark rumors about sabotage from, you know, political groups or perhaps the CCP even. You know, there was that major explosion in China a number of years ago, and a lot of people were saying it was industrial sabotage on the part of the U.S. or even that they used one of those mini rods of God space weapons and dropped that titanium telephone pole, but like probably the smaller one, and blew up that chemical plant. I don't know if you remember that explosion. If you haven't seen that explosion that was like, I don't know, five years ago or something in China, it's unreal. I mean, it's just insane. Like a video footage from miles away of it just going boom, 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 boom. And it like ends up like shattering the glass near where the people are like a mile away. It was an insane accident. And so it could be that this is payback. We're certainly, you know, seem to be flirting with World War III right now. And so it's hard to say. And all of that stuff needs to be explored, the conspiracy angle, the symbolism, it's East Palestine, right, which would be the Jewish half of of Palestine, a.k.a. Israel, right, talking about Jerusalem, you know, and so forth. And so, like, it could be that it's a symbol there. There's the thing with the white noise thing that's on Netflix, of all things. Remember, Netflix came out with pandemic right before the pandemic, and now Netflix comes out with white noise right before a major train derailment. Where? In Ohio. Where's the film set? Ohio. That seems almost impossible for me to believe. So then I will speculate just for a moment here. Again, the focus needs to be not on us speculating, not on us making this a partisan issue, a chance to get Biden as much as a lot of us want to get rid of him. We've got to get help to the people. And if we get bogged down on some kind of partisan nonsense, that might get pushed to the side. We need to push on that. That also exposes anyone who resists that. Anyone who tries to say we we shouldn't be helping these people, that exposes them. And we need to keep the focus on that, not going, okay, knives out for Buttigieg or Biden. Look, fuck those guys. I hate them. I want them gone. Those people need help. That needs to be our focus. As far as speculation goes, I do wonder if dropping a carcinogen in something like a third of America's waterways might perhaps be great cover for the turbo cancers that are coming out from the vaccine. And that it seems, you know, Catherine Austin Fitz, the former Undersecretary of Housing and Urban Development, who is a great heroine, she has said that it appears, and I agree with this, that in how freely can I speak? Or can I say you're free to you're free to speak however you want. You want to curse anything. YouTube does not hold us back on this show. Great. So, yeah, so so she believes that the vaccines have been distributed in such a way as to that segments of the country are gridded off or whatever, you know, and that 
if there's like say valuable farmland there, or oil and gas reserves, or or people are considered unruly, or God only knows all the different reasons that there might be for it, but they have distributed these vaccines where there's the saline ones don't harm anyone, and that maybe goes to Hollywood, right? And all the rich doctors get their hands on that one, and then there's one that's like reality shot, right? And it maybe doesn't kill people, but it sterilizes them, depop. And then and these last three categories, the non-salinar, are have crossover with one another. And and this is partially Catherine Austin Fitz says there's a regimented amount of people to die in an area. She doesn't necessarily propose this specific part I'm saying, but she does say some of them are clearly saline or whatever. So there's the sterility shot, then there's the kill shot. That's the one that just kills you dead right, right away, perhaps with graphene hydroxide, hydroxide with an H, a German scientist came out and said that there that there was nano razor blades made of graphene hydroxide. And he was a nanotechnician and also a he had a medical background. So he had both nanotech and medical background. And he said, nobody else will find this. I happen to know to look for it. And I tested for it. And if you don't test for it, you won't find it. He was killed the next day after he released this video. And at the exact same moment, all that stuff came out about hydras in it, and everybody focused on the hydras. And everybody missed what this German scientist who was instantaneously killed the next day and his wife said murdered, right? So there's that kill one, which who knows what it's composed of. It doesn't matter. But there's something that kills people lickety split. And his explanation of nano razor blades that just cut you up inside makes sense given how fast people will just fall over dead. It like kind of doesn't make sense from the mRNA perspective. Like something is killing people that's toxic or perhaps in the vascular system like this guy proposes. So there's that immediate kill shot. And again, all three could be one. And then the third one is there does appear to now be enough evidence that I feel comfortable saying there's a high likelihood that there's vaccines with graphene oxide with just a no, not hydroxide, which is the razor blades, but oxide, and that those can be remote assembled into carbon wires, carbon nanotube wires, basically, and that that would aid in basically neural interface in order to help facilitate things like a brain chip and other transhumanist type stuff, implants and sensors of various kinds to integrate biology and technology. And that seems to be another category. And so Catherine Austin Fitz proposes that there's certain areas where whatever elites, right? The Venetian black nobility is my you know, take on that, have decided that they're going to kill off in certain areas and not in others. And that's why you see these huge discrepancies in people's experience. Some people know 10, 12, 15 people have died within a year of getting the shot. And other people are like, I know 50, 100 people have been vaccinated and they're all fine, but we all live in West Beverly Hills or, well, maybe not West Beverly Hills, but wherever like a rich, you know, Bel Air, there you go. We all live in Bel Air, all my Bel Air friends are fine. All my friends here in the Hamptons are fine. You know, it's almost like we didn't get that kind. Right. And you also see it among athletes. Like, yeah, we had Damar Damar Hamlin, right. Very famous event, but we haven't had nearly the carnage in American sports that you see in FIFA soccer or among tennis players at the international level. There's been just outright carnage with those. And part of it is because soccer is the most cardiovascular intensive sport by far. They just run constantly. But I think part of it is they're disarmed in the EU. So you can just drop the bomb, baby. You can just kill them all. Like, who gives a shit? What are they going to do? Use harsh language? 
I mean, look at the difference in the way the EU lockdowns, the New Zealand lockdowns, the Australian, Can Canadian, and UK lock compared to the US. We had by far the lightest touch. Yeah, we just happened to be mega fucking strapped. Probably not a coincidence. We're by far the most strapped. And New Zealand, Australia, and Canada have all been disarmed basically in the past decade to a large degree. And then that stuff rolled up. And in fact, I even am of the opinion that the EU and those, you know, five eyes, English speaking diaspora, right? The Commonwealth countries, whatever, they would have gotten it much, much worse except for us. If we had been disarmed, it would have been straight to camps and trains and just kill and slaughter. And like, there would have been no resistance whatsoever. But the fear the elites have, in my opinion, is that the U.S. will revolt, will take back our military, and then we'll be ready to kick some ass. And indeed, that's my dream scenario, is that we reconstitute our republic, we regain control of our military, and we go around to free these people in these you know, Venetian black nobility occupied countries, mm. you know, probably mm. starting with Canada for security reasons, because Canada is clearly occupied by this globe these globalist scumbags, call them WEF, call them the Venetian black nobility, who I believe is, who's really pulling the strings, call them whatever you want. But these people are no friends of Canada or America. That's for sure. What about Mexico? Mexico seems like it seems like they kind of like it chaotic because I think they like to do a lot of staging and criminality and God knows what down there. You know, they probably have like underground labs and madness down there. I think they seem to kind of like to keep Mexico in a semi chaotic state for whatever reason, because if they had wanted Mexico to be a solid, strong government, they could have achieved that. I'm pretty sure. You know what I mean? I mean, look what they just did in Brazil. Right. Again, obvious stolen election, took it from Bolsonaro and gave it to Lula, the, the gay rapist, piece of trash globalist, right? And they could easily have, a, a, in my opinion, a stable country in Mexico, but they seem to want like the cartels there. They seem to want to be able to do military stuff with like arms dealing down there. They seem to want to have like quasi, you know, like fiefdoms or whatever, like a not a cohesive country. Because it would seem like it's a massive security threat to me to have these cartels running wild and fighting each other and having military-grade weapons and stuff. If I ran the United States and I gave a shit about the United States, I would be concerned about the, the instability in Mexico. Forget even giving and caring about the Mexican people, which we ought to, and help them, you know, and get them out from under the boot of these insane governments and cartels, but from a pragmatic only caring about yourself point of view, you would think that that would be something you want to do. So it's clear to me they don't want that. And I even believe they want that instability and the drugs and the fentanyl and the weapons and all the stuff to come up into the U.S. Because it's pretty clear to me they're trying to create maximum chaos in the U.S. because this is it. We, we're, we, we really, maybe Russia, maybe, but it does feel like the U.S. is like the last bastion of liberty on earth like it's the last place that the flame is still alive and that almost everywhere else looks like it's been taken over by this madness i don't think it's monolithic i don't think that there aren't fissures among the elites in fact i'm certain there are but what i mean is is that like if you look around the world like tell me what what country has more of a movement around freedom and actually has the economic and citizen armed capacity to do anything about what's going on 
really Nowhere. just us. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's really us and maybe the Russians. And that's if you buy into the Putin's a good guy thing. Mm. Right. Right. I think Putin's Luciferian. So better than the Malakians perhaps, but. Well, and, and we yeah. have such an interesting spectrum here, as you just explained, you know, from Canada to Mexico, you know, weather permitting more chaos, people in a cold area possibly are easily controlled just due to the seasonal demands. But at the same rate, you know, we should be able to enjoy the same freedoms no matter which climate we find ourselves in. I don't think climate hardly defines politics, but you see that sort of in the shadow war hierarchy, these countries that are primarily controlled by the Venetian black nobility being, let's say, more, I don't know, sheepish, uh, for lack of a better term, more lockstepped, more oppressed, whereas you get this myth of a place like Mexico or anywhere else really along the equator where, oh, it's it's dangerous there. There's no rules. It's almost like America's kind of in between those two extremes in a way because, you know, we go to a place like West Virginia and you know, mining has absolutely turned that state into a third world country, essentially. And now, you know, what yeah. just happened is going to make things, I'm sure, compounded. Oh, and it's it's devastating. You know, I live in Connecticut. And even though, yeah, there are very wealthy towns here in Connecticut, you can find the exact opposite of that just around the corner. I mean, literally around the corner in some neighborhoods, you have like a very divide between ultra rich and bottom of the barrel scraping by. And I think, you know, when it comes to this Venetian black nobility, you know, they've tried to intercede in American politics. They've done several things. Where do you think it starts, the the sort of deterioration of our constitution? Because you talk about reconstituting the republic and you know, I've had guests on this show who who've said that, oh well America has, you know, been under control of the English since the War of 1812. That's uh, what I was literally just going to say, so I agree. Now, well, what do you think? I mean, the control, I think control is slightly a strong term. I think they've arrested the, they, they, they got control of the most important aspect of things to where they could elicit control, which was the, who controls the currency, controls the country kind of thing. And, you know, they did that with the, they put in the first, I think it was after War of 1812 was the first, it might've been the second, but I think they put in the first bank in the United States. And then it was on a 20 year thing. And so that was a federal reserve of its era, but it had a 20 year corporate charter because it, most people don't know this, but initially we only had taxes on tariffs. So imports from foreign countries or exports and from corporate profits and corporations were only allowed to last for 20 years. And so the corporation of the bank in the United States had a 20 year, not lease, but con contract. I forget what the term exact term is, but they had a 20 year timer to where they were eligible. And then they re-upped and formed the second bank of the United States. And then the, the second bank in the United States was getting ready to re-up for third bank in the United States. And Andrew Jackson came along. And I noticed Andrew Jackson is uniquely pilloried among early American presidents as particularly evil and vile, when actually maybe he was like more extreme, although I wonder if they're telling us the truth about it, but he isn't, in my opinion, so so much worse than the other presidents of the 1800s in terms of the treatment 
of Native Americans. But he's uniquely singled out as so racist and evil, right? But what did he do? He said, I've discovered that you bankers have been speculating in the bread stuff of America with the money. By control of the money, you're using money then to speculate and cause big spikes and in, in craters and prices, especially around food. And uh, I'm not renewing that. In fact, I'm going to route you out. And by God Almighty, I will route you and I'll destroy you. And he he ended the Second Bank of the United States, and there was an immediate assassination attempt on him. But because Andrew Jackson, old hickory, was so badass, guy comes up and shoots him, unloads two one-shot revolvers in him, and dude, <laughs> Andrew Jackson proceeds to beat the guy with his cane almost to death after getting shot twice. Like a fucking gangster. Am right. I, I think <laughs> one of those bullets stayed in him for his entire, uh, the rest of his yeah, life. Right. And, and he lived a long life after that too. So yeah, yeah, thank you for, for relaying that forgotten American tale of heroism in the face of this global <laughs> empire. Now, do you think Jackson himself was fighting the Malachians or do you think it was a different branch battle, you know, battling for control? Cause you know, well, uh, I would say in those days, you know, up to 1812, our country was Luciferian controlled, like pretty much almost exclusively other than there was this Malachian energy in the sense of slavery, right? Slavery is very Malachian. But there were a lot of people don't realize there was like a reverse awful compromise. Some of the founding fathers wanted to give women the right to vote. And some of the founding fathers wanted to end slavery. And the people who didn't want to give women the right to vote and didn't want to end slavery came together and said, we won't let the women vote and we'll keep black people enslaved. But there was a movement even back then in the 1700s, which is insane, to give women the right to vote and to outlaw chattel slavery in the United States. So that's a testament to actually how advanced some people were in terms of their like, oh, yeah thinking on these things. And, you know, we, we love to shit on the founding fathers nowadays. The reason for that, of course, is they want to get rid of the Constitution, like, forever, you know, and make people forget all about that. But, and I won't defend, obviously, either of those decisions, because I disagree with both of them with the benefit of, you know, 200 plus years. I mean, I think slavery is pretty obvious, but, you know, like, I, I won't defend those de- de- decisions, but I will point out that if you just look at the way the United States was, really up until after World War II, we're by far and away the most free country on earth. We're far and away had the most legal rights at the level of the citizen of anyone. Liberty was just clearly ingrained in our consciousness. I still believe that. I still believe it's in our DNA. And that's why I know, I know that eventually the people will triumph because Deep down, almost all of us, those of us who haven't just like our hollowed out people, want liberty. What some people have been duped into thinking is that other people are trying to take it from them, so they need to take it from their enemy first, right? And that's kind of the big trick. But a lot of those people, if you could somehow like shake them, they would be like, oh, sorry, yeah, no, I agree, like freedom of speech and liberty and stuff like that. It's that they've been put into fear and think they need to take it from others or else it'll be taken from them. And so, you know, like I think that Andrew Jackson, yeah, was part of this, you know, again, when I say Luciferian and Malachian, and I don't know for viewers, should I run down those two terms real quick? Because yeah, I was hoping we could at one, at some point. Yeah, please. Yeah. So, so like I am of the personal opinion and it, it goes, way back and and i have like evidence for this 
But I believe that the people who more or less run the planet are the Venetian black nobility and that these people were actually prior to moving to Venice and the banks of the Rialto, they were Roman senatorial families most often. And prior to that, they were entire in and where they openly worshipped Heman Baal, which is also known as Moloch. That was the Jewish name for that god, Moloch. And it's also sometimes known as Kronos or Saturn, like the lower aspect of Saturn. But it involved Epstein-style harm of children. It involved icing of children. Very, very dark, very, very horrible. And without diving too deeply into it, after Alexander the Great like destroyed Tyre in one of the greatest sieges of all time, 322 BC, which is interesting because Skull and Bones, 322, I actually wonder about that. I recently... They made that connection, thought about it. And then Carthage is destroyed in the Punic Wars by the Romans. And then those families that worship Moloch go to first Rome and become senatorial families. And then eventually they move to Venice. And in Venice, they perfect so many things that are like plagues of the modern world, including, you know, you were talking earlier about people getting duped by being split and kind of when that happened. And in my opinion, it happens immediately following the creation of the printing press, there was a papal bull issued more or less saying we need to start propagandizing the people or else we're going to have a major revolt. And the Venetians at that time were among the very first to put propaganda out and also like fake bills, like fake information to where they would pretend that like the French king or whatever had said something and they'd put out a bunch of printed stuff. I mean, they were immediately doing very sophisticated like lying and manipulation by using the printing press almost right away. And they had something called the Council of Ten, which was the prototypical intelligence agency. Almost all modern intelligence agencies are based off the Council of Ten in Venice. And so these these people, by and large, worship Moloch. When I say the Black nobility, sometimes I will include non-Venetians in that. So like Genoese families or Ferran families or Florentine families. But they're, 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 it does seem that the majority of the Venetian branch of these various Italian noble families are particularly evil. They're the ones who gave themselves the title Black Nobility <clears throat> as kind of a flex on everyone of we can do whatever we want and we're so evil you should fear us. And so that group seems to worship Moloch and maybe a smaller of them group of them seem to worship Lucifer. And you have families like the Medicis who come along and like Cosimo Medici releasing of the Hermetica, which kicked off or deepened the Renaissance. There was a lot of information that was flowing over from Constantinople as Constantinople was in its waning days, especially after the Fourth Crusade, where the Venetians sacked Venice (laughs) and they seem to have like taken records from the Imperial Library there and so forth. But there started to be a flow of information from east to west that was happening around the time of the Renaissance uh, as Constantinople was on its last legs before the Ottoman Turks take over. And among that was this the Hermetica. And the Hermetica lays out a lot of principles of magic and how magic works and just how the universe works. And it was a very real threat to the Venetians in part because it had a it, it, it said that the the universe is not a closed system and that it's infinitely fecund and infinitely generative and creative. Whereas the Venetians are like, no, it's a closed system. It's a zero-sum game. And the only way that you can do anything is by taking from someone else. And so they're two very oppositional and very fundamental splits. They also believe, you know, the Moloch thing is a very low ebb of consciousness. Moloch is both 
both, in my opinion, a independently existing deity that's like a lower G, lowercase G God here on earth, although very powerful, and it has its own independent existence, but it also exists, and some people might be more comfortable with because I believe both of these are true, and we need to be thinking multidimensionally. we got to get away from this linear nonsense. That's what's been trapping the Western mind for a long, long time. We need to start thinking layers and, and complexity and multi, multiple dimensions. I assure you the elites do. I assure you. And it's one of the big secrets they've kept hidden. So I think also in parallel true, but perhaps this is more comfortable to different listeners, Moloch is also a state of consciousness. It's a very low consciousness. So things like slavery, Epstein-style harm of children, physical torture, might makes right. No contracts, just whoever is the biggest, strongest dog runs things, right? Autism, right? Not even predation, but just like draining someone out, right? Like usury with banking, which the Venetians really are the the all-time champions at that. It also has, the Malachians like to keep or this Moloch energy likes to keep humans at a very low level materially because it's easier to control people who live in squalor. So like the Dark Ages was very much like the Malachian playground. Like they love that disease spreading, no kind of civilization can't really advance. People are throwing their their shit in the streets and getting sick and just all sorts of like there's not a lot of advancement, really easy to control. They recognized that technology was very disruptive, as was new information. It appears that Venetians, for example, after the Fourth Crusade in 1200s, they knew about the New World. In fact, there's very strong evidence that the Zeno family with the Sinclair family up in Scotland came over to the U.S. way before Columbus. And so then there's... That's like a clear record. There's even stuff pointing towards that there was transatlantic stuff way before that, like on the super down low, super hush hush. The Zeno documents were finally released like in the 1800s or I don't know what, when, maybe maybe later, possibly earlier. It, do, it doesn't really matter, but it, 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 it just, they read as clearly true. And it lines up with certain documents we have up in Scotland with the, with the Sinclair family up there. So... The Venetians knew about that, and they didn't want anyone to know. Well, why? If you look on a map, they're on the Adriatic Sea. They're on the northeastern side of the Italian boot peninsula, right? So they would have to go all the way down past the boot. Now, just now, catching up with their rivals in Genoa, which is where Columbus comes from, because Genoa is on the west side. So Genoa can just go boop. So Genoa has probably a two or three week lead with every bone on getting there and back, maybe a month, maybe two months, depending on like, you know, <clears throat> breezes and whatever. So Genoa has a huge leg up if they start going to the new world. And, but wait, there's more. You still have to go past the pillars of Hercules, the Strait of Gibraltar, go past the then Almohad empire, like Muslim occupied Spain and, and Portugal and make your way over the new world. And then you got to do the whole thing on the way back. But if your rivals in any of these areas figure it out before you do, you're fucked because they, they're just going to be way more efficient in interacting with the new world. And let's be honest, raping it of its wealth. So they kept that on the DL. Likewise, Malachians recognize that technology is disruptive and they tend to, they don't like technology unless you can convince them that it can be used to control people because they're obsessed 
above and beyond everything else with control. Because this deity of Moloch says, "You, I, I have two things that are acceptable to me. Your total submission to where you have the fear that passes understanding. Yeshua or Jesus in the Bible talks about the Most High as being the peace that passes understanding, that you can find peace even in the worst of circumstances. The Moloccans are the opposite. You can find fear even in the best of circumstances, and fear so intense that you would give up your own children to this being, which doesn't make any sense, right? Like giving up your children to be sacrificed. I mean, that's the height of madness, really. And you have to be so fearful to even consider that. And so this Moloccan energy does not like anything that's disruptive unless it can be used to control. Now, and there's a diagram I like to use, and maybe I can send this to you afterwards, and you can be putting it up on the screen, but above that very low ebb of consciousness, and they're very like conquest-oriented and total top-down control, there's the Luciferian energy. And so again, Lucifer, Moloch is pretty much Satan. Satan just means the adversary, and the adversary of the Jews in the time of David and Solomon was Moloch. So it's Moloch, or Hammond Baal, if you prefer their term. But Moloch is clearly who is the adversary of the Jews. The Canaanite Phoenician god, Moloch, is who they're fighting with. And in fact, when Solomon married his wife from Tyre, right, the city I talked about that these people have done, she was very persuasive, probably very beautiful, may have used magic, who knows what, and she got him to agree to let her worship in her own way on the edges of Jerusalem, and she set up a temple to Moloch, and they started the whole sacrifice and seen so harm of children. And that was a big part of what <clears throat> caused Solomon to lose favor with God. So it's clear to me, when Jews talk about, in the Old Testament, about Satan, they mean Moloch. It's clear to me. This is the great rival of Yahweh Jehovah, which, quick side note, and I'm not going to go deep in this, Yahweh Jehovah, not the Most High, not the God of the Most Angels, not who Jesus is talking about when he talks about my father, all that stuff. Jesus is a representative of that most high. This Jehovah, the Yahweh, is like a syncretic Near Eastern war god, basically, who took the portfolio of the angels, but it does not, does not represent that. Mm. Claim that as their own. And the angels, by the way, are, are, are not, they're not Abrahamic at all. There's lots of reports of, you know, in Sumerian writings about angels, they even mention Michael by name, Archangel Michael. So... The angels exist separate from and have nothing to do with the Abrahamic faiths, even though they do play a huge role in the Abrahamic faiths. They aren't owned by the Abrahamic faiths, if that makes sense. Right. They have their own independent existence. And so the getting back to the the these people worshiping Moloch and how that different differentiates from Luciferianism, Lucifer is a fallen angel, the most powerful angel. And he fell because he basically disagreed with God, ironically, about humans being better than angels. And angels, as a rule, don't have free will. Lucifer was able to demonstrate free will to say, I disagree with you, God, and like shake shake my fist. And then weirdly, Lucifer's advocate of free will now that he has it, because he wants to do his free will against what the Most High will and he actually believes quite a bit in humans having free will, although he, you know, doesn't mind duping or tricking humans, you know. And again, the state of consciousness. So this state of consciousness has certain overlaps 
with the Milwaukeean state of consciousness. And that is things like conquest and ruthlessness, because the Luciferians are utterly ruthless, a willingness to kill, right? A willingness to go to war, dying, right? So that's some of the crossovers. There's a certain sense of entitlement. Malachians think that they should... Malachians are weird down. Their primary trait is self-hatred. They hate themselves deep, deep down. And they're trying to, like, fill this hole by doing all kinds. And that's how they're able to do these horrible things is they don't even love themselves. Luciferians, by contrast, are narcissistic. They're very much focused on themselves. And whereas Moloch wants to keep humans down on a material level... Lucifer is the opposite. Lucifer believes in liberty. Lucifer is the most high. That's where there's also a crossover between the most high and Lucifer. But liberty and freedom and free will, Moloch hates that. Lucifer endorses that. Moloch says might makes right. Lucifer says, no, let's have contracts. Now, contracts still imply fear and doubt and a lack of trust. But it's an advancement over just the guy with the biggest club is the only one who gets to make any decisions. Contracts allow us to have a level of cooperation that we can't have without that. So meritocracy is something that the Luciferians are really big into. But they even have that attitude to the point of social Darwinism. So the Malachians might want to intentionally ground poor people down and make them suffer and delight out of it. And you might at first blush think that a Luciferian and Malachian, because they both don't help poor people, that they both have the same feeling towards it, but it's not true. If you were to convince a Luciferian that it makes sense in an enlightened self-interest kind of way, that you take care of poor people, they would do it. Example, Utah recently put all their homeless people in motels and so forth that the state paid for, and they found that that was cheaper and that most of those people ended up getting jobs producing in the economy, being taxed, et cetera, and that it was a massive savings, way less law enforcement actions, way less drug problems, way less crimes just in general, and way less hospital visits. And so it saved the state an extraordinary amount of money. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, it hasn't cut off. But if you were to pitch something like that to a Luciferian, they'd say, oh, let's do that. That makes sense. My tax burden would be lower. Sure, we can help those people. Helps me, right? Whereas the Malachians would say, like, can we harvest those children's organs and make them suffer a lot first? I, I don't know about this helping, helping to kill them or, you know what I mean? Like they, they, they're just, they're, they're evil mm-hmm. and they don't, they have no ability really to want to care for anyone else because they hate themselves. Whereas the Luciferians are all about the guy with the thumbs. Right. And so they're very, they're very like kind of self-focused and what the Luciferians want is they want humanity in its most perfected expression, you know, Turian man with Leonardo da Vinci, you know, the perfected man, perfected mind, perfected spirit. They're very, they're, they're a spiritualizing force, whereas materializing force. The Malachians love to push dead materialism. At the tippy top, they, of course, know that that's a lie, but they love everything, dead materialism, because one of the technologies they don't want us to access is our internal spiritual technologies, accessing our chakra system, accessing magic, technology works, numerology, all those things they keep to themselves and hide, right? Whereas the Luciferians are much more about, let's talk about chakras. Let's talk about the higher spiritual, perfecting humanity. So that way, the, the, the ego of humanity comes to the center, and by extension, Lucifer, because Lucifer will say, look, 
things are under me. This is all thanks to me. You're perfected now. You're all healthy and smart and whatever. That's thanks to me. You should worship me. And so it's a, but it is a light, meaning that it looks appealing and it does look like an upgrade over this Malachian system. And so these two forces, and there's which is the most high, which is very much about harmony and peace and love and compassion, and Yeshua and many other spiritual teachers have come forward and tried to get us on that vibe. And we'll move towards that eventually. I should I should note that during this era that we're in, it's called the Kali Yugas. There's a descending Kali Yuga or Iron Age and an ascending Kali Yuga or Iron Age. And that is a time of extreme materialism, extreme duality, torture, war, death, and Moloch reigns supreme. And nothing can actually challenge Moloch until that era ends. And it's just because the planet right now, all the souls that are incarnated right, incarnated right now need to learn the lessons of, I guess, late Kali Yuga in our specific case which is staring into the abyss of evil and what we've done and what we're capable of doing if we're that disconnected. And it's horrible, but if you consider that everyone's immortal souls, you can understand how it could be a very powerful (laughs) teaching exercise at a soul level for us to go through the mad suffering and horror. But everybody's done with it. Everyone's sick of it. We're all sick of this Moloch energy, except for, you know, the various elites that are involved in it. Everyone else is sick of it. And it's actually now coming out of the shadows and right in your face. You know, look at the Sam Smith crap, you know, at the Grammys or whatever, the Super Bowl halftime shows, right? Like it's it's in our face now, but it's not going to work because most people don't want that. And so this, this clash that's been happening since birth, at least a thousand years between the Luciferians and the Moloccans, where the Luciferians are trying to make headway and the Moloccans always slap it down. You can look at examples like Renaissance Florence, where there's this explosion of arts and humanities and concepts of higher philosophy. The United States and the, the Bill of Rights, especially, but also the Constitution, the Enlightenment. These are all examples of huge advancements that have to do with liberty and have to do with, to some degree, a spiritual underpinning. Certainly in the case of Renaissance Florence, it was very spiritual and spiritually uplifting and not like that pushing down energy. And in every single one of those cases, like we mentioned at the War of 1812, the Malachians come back and hammer it down. For the And that fight, though, is reaching like new levels and is about to, in my opinion, break out in a very significant way. And that we're seeing the very beginnings of it actually like in the past couple of weeks wow I just want to apologize for the, uh, well, the buffering there. I don't know, other glitch maybe is another way to describe it. Either way, uh, tried my best to edit that. I don't know if I could make it uh, any better than it sounds just there. So uh, my apologies. Uh, 
next time I'll make sure to figure out the connection issues with the guest beforehand. But uh, but yeah, we resumed for part two uh, coming up next. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Ian goes and fixes his router and he sounds a little bit better. So uh, bear with us. This is a very interesting interview. I just want to take a quick moment to shout out the Hit Kit Go to www.hitkit.us. It's the number one way to get lit with the Hit Kit. You could get any design you want on this sweet case that holds your blunts, your joints, your spliffs, whatever you're rolling, right there, safe and sound with your lighter. So go and check them out. Uh, the Hit Kit on Instagram and www.hitkit.us. Check out the link in the description. Now back to the episode. subterfuge perfect all right so we're back into it thank you ian a little break there and before we took a break you were sharing essentially a breakdown between the luciferians and the malachian and the difference and you 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 made the statement that we need to think multi-dimensionally we can't think about things linear in linear ways and i even would argue that you know it's not as simple as lucifer and Moloch, I think you would agree with that, but these are two broad categories that groups of people seem to be described easily by. Now, that being said, you use the term ball. Ball worship is something that has been talked about a lot by someone that I've done a lot of sort of work with, Michael Wan and his friend Ross Ben. They talked about ball worship and how it centers around the 40th parallel with Philadelphia. So it's interesting how syncretically, you know, some groups may be using that term ball, others are using Malachian, but essentially they're talking about the same entity. And I wonder if you've identified any other parallel entities, because there's this group called the Yazidis that are often pointed at, like, oh, these were the devil worshipers. You get all sorts of uh, satanic panic pointing fingers at anything occult meaning saturn or satan but what we're talking about here is a very distinct sort of way of understanding it that's more historically accurate than this sort of superstitious finger pointing that people may be used to from you know the the less credible conspiracy outlets like infowars but yeah i i would love to know if you found any sort of parallels with the malachians or the luciferians and other groups who worship maybe entities by a different name yeah, I mean, there's lots of, uh, you know, different names for um, these various deities. I mean, uh, you could describe Enki and Enlil, Enlil being Moloch, and Enki being uh, Lucifer or Prometheus or whatever. I mean, Prometheus and very kind of similar stories like rebelling against the gods and trying to give something to humanity to give them an advantage that maybe the gods could ruin humanity in some kind of way so i mean there is there is a lot of like 
um, overlap in these terms. I like these terms because they're reasonably modern. They touch on uh, names that people are more familiar with, like Enlil predates Moloch by uh, a few millennia, and it seems a similar entity to me, if not one and the same. Uh, same thing with Enfer. Uh, they seem and feel very similar to me, uh, but most people aren't familiar with uh, those. And so um, there's a little bit, you get a little more bang for your buck or sexiness to you know, to use these two terms. Also, uh, you know, you have things like there was a Hillary Clinton email to, I forget who, but she specifically said she'd make, uh, she'd sacrifice a chicken to Moloch. And some people are like, oh, ha ha, you know, that's really tongue in cheek. But I'm, my whole thing is, wouldn't you say Satan if you're making a joke, right? Wouldn't you just say, you know, the devil or whatever, or make a sacrifice ha, ha, to the dark god or whatever? Moloch is a very specific Canaanite deity, or rather uh, Hebrew term for a Canaanite deity, more accurately. So that's a bit odd. Um, especially like the context of it was that she had done something that displeased a Rothschild. I forget exactly what it was, but you can look it up on the WikiLeaks Hillary emails. But I actually found that to be one of the more uh, intriguing emails of of any of those that came out during that period of time uh, because of that specific thing and how it was linked to a a power elite family, one of the the visible uh, edges of the Venetian black nobility, which I consider the Rothschilds to be... um, you know, basically like errand boys for the really deep-pocketed uh, Venetian black nobility families who were doing banking way before the Rothschilds came on the scene in 1776. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of parallel. There's also a lot of confusion, and this confusion uh, is helped along a lot tremendously by the Vatican. The Vatican basically came up with this whole, you're either with us or against us, any worship of any deity that isn't channeled through the Catholic Church or the Vatican is satanic. And they kind of took a term that seemed to me mean like a specific dark god and used it to be anyone who disagrees with us is that. And some of the iconography they used is part of the confusion. Uh, you know, like when you think about the devil, most people think about like the guy with the tail and the cloven hooves and the horns, right? Well, that's what Pan looks like in the Greek pantheon, which is similar but not identical to Kernanus, which is the Celtic god of the wild hunt, uh, who's very much like a merger between man and beast and talks about the connection of, of humanity to uh, nature. Now, that deity did act actually human sacrifice on occasion, right? This is like the wicker man and stuff like that, right? That there there was human sacrifice, but it wasn't um, this like super hardcore and psychotic stuff uh, that the Malachian energy seems to do. And by the way, there's evidence that the Phoenicians came over to the Americas and I believe that human sacrifice spread from the Near East to the Aztecs when uh, Canaanite Phoenicians took that warship across the ocean. And then Quetzalcoatl, who seems to be from representing a different faction of Atlantean survivors, uh, came over and told them they need to not do that anymore and then bring it again. So then when Cortez shows up, 
like the big panic that the Aztec ruling class had was, ooh, we were not supposed to do sacrifice anymore. We're going to be in big trouble with Quatacuato. And that was heavy on their minds. And then, of course, you know, history unfolded, the Spanish, the slaughter, et cetera. But uh, that's interesting to me, the way that that seems to have spread. So, I mean, there's even Aztec names for this these deities is my point there. There's many names for these deities. And that's why it's sometimes more useful to look at like kind of what's their portfolio, right? So like Thor and Zeus have a lot of crossover. They're both tossing lightning bolts. They're both kind of like very concerned with what's going on in the world. But also like it almost seems like Odin is split off from Jupiter or Zeus, right? There's like a wisdom component that Jupiter did have, or Zeus did have, that seems split off. And Thor just seems more like the ass kicking part of it. So my point is, is that sometimes you have very similar names that are clearly talking about the same being. And then other times, you know, there's important distinctions. And so when people, like I was saying earlier, when people think of the devil, the image that comes to mind is Kernanos, and that's not an accident. It's because the Vatican went out of their way to use that iconography and symbolism of Kernanos as the devil or Satan. That's why people still think of the devil as this horned, cloven-hoofed thing, is because the number one competing religion in Europe to the Vatican when they started doing this was uh, ancient Celtic pagan worship of Kernanos. And they wanted to demonize that. But it is it is not the same as Moloch. Moloch is very much like a city god and has like a super emphasis on the harm of children. In fact, it seems critical. Um, long ago, I was in training for a brief period of time with uh, a, a literal shaman, someone who is from a shamanic line of uh, transmission and descent from... Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of what it is. I think it's Kamchatka, the extreme northeastern Russia uh, in Siberia. Um, and they have totem poles there, much like the West Coast uh, Native Americans have. So, you know, up in Canada and so forth. And when I met the making a totem pole, and he took me under his wing and trained me for a while in um, uh, basically like shamanism. And one of them emphasized to me was that long ago, and I would say, at the beginning of the Kali Yuga, there was um, there were people who were already working with dark powers, and they were made aware of Moloch. And they were told that in order to access Moloch, they had to start doing children in a ritualistic fashion. And that then opens a portal to the lower astral plane where Moloch is, and then Moloch did that in and so this shaman told me that the number one thing on earth for shamans, white magicians, whatever term you want to use, spiritual people who are on, on the side of good or at least like not the side of Moloch, right, that we have to end that. That is the number one thing we have to end. It's what anchors their power in this world. That's why they're so obsessed with it. That's why... You see it all over the place, Balenciaga, right? The the Catholic Church, the um, Hollywood, et cetera, et cetera, right? You see the, you know, uh, Epstein, you see this fingerprints of that all over the place. And it's always at the highest levels, and it's always with the people who are at the most nasty end of the elites. And so, um, yeah, I mean, there's lots of names for, for some of these beings, but there's also confusion, you know, because people think like, 
the devil and Kernonos rather than, you know, Moloch appears differently other than perhaps the bull's horn. Sometimes Moloch is represented as a bull, seem to arise during the astrological age, age of Pisces. And so I think there's a relation there. Um, the Mithras cult seems to perhaps be Molochian. I'm not 100% on that, but there is some certain things that kind of point towards that um, because of stuff that continues from Mithraic condition. But what I am certain about is that the Venetian nobility, at least one family, was worshiping Moloch as recently as the late 1400s, which if they had Tyre being destroyed in 322 BC, if they had then been worshiping Moloch for basically 1800 years later and in a period of time to where they, you know, this is around the time of the Inquisition, and yet they were continuing to do it. Like, that's dedication, that's serious to me, that's not an anomaly, that's something to pay attention to. And how I can prove that is, I have this book here called The Game of Saturn, Decoding the Sola Busca Tarochi by Peter Mark Adams. And in it, he shows how this uh, Sola Busca Tarochi tarot deck is an encoded uh, magical initiatory system, and that it's shows the clear fingerprints of Moloch. In fact, let me read you this little snippet from it. Because, yes, there's different names for it, but I think uh, Moloch is particularly useful. So the Game of Saturn is the first full-length scholarly study of the enigmatic Renaissance masterwork known as the Soul. It reveals the existence of a pagan liturgical and ritual tradition active amongst members of the Renaissance elite and encoded within the deck. Beneath its beautifully decorated surface, from the obscure to the grotesque, we encounter scenes of homoeroticism. My new death penalty in those days, gay sex. So that's serious. Like, like that was important to them, and they were willing to risk death to put together this tarot desk, which is wow. And they also clearly felt they were about the law, right? Um, so there's also in this wounding immolation and decapitation, redolent of hidden meanings, violent transformations, and obscure rites. <clears throat> For the first time today in over 500 years, the clues embedded within the cards reveal a dark Gnostic grimoire replete with pagan theurgical and astral magical rites. Careful analysis demonstrates that the presiding deity of this cult object is none other than, and I disagree with this part, the Gnostic demiurge in its most archaic and violent form. I would say the demiurge changes depending on the era you're in, and so right now it would kind of come out as Moloch. The Afro-Levantine serpent dragon, Baal Hamon, also known as Kronos and Saturn, though more notoriously as the biblical Moloch. And so that's, um, that to me is the smoking gun showing that these people were still doing it as recently as the late 1400s. Also, Italian family, a family or families preserved this deck until modern day for hundreds and hundreds of years. It's in fabulous condition, which means that people went out of their way to preserve it. And it's an initiatory deck to initiate people into that current, that mindset, that energetic flow, or or directly, if you believe in external deities that have their own existence, to directly work with that being. And so I am certain of, of that aspect of things, but there is also very clearly this split among the elite, because some elites clearly believe that they can do better with advancement of technology and with humans doing better and having better material condition that they'll reap the benefits. And the Malachians can't help but notice that they get more power and wealth. And so 
they even get sort of seduced by it. And in my opinion, the Malachians, like they run things, but they don't even realize a lot of their advisors are Luciferian because the Malachian energy is very dull. It's very, it's not very smart. It's incredibly powerful, but it's, it's quite dull. It doesn't have any breadth or multidimensionality, right? But the Luciferian side does, but in order to have any power at all, you had to work within the Malachian power structure. And so these Luciferians have, have been acting as like the consigliore of this darker force and coming up with most of the elaborate plans are theirs. And then they'll try and wiggle and create some room for their way of being in the world. And when the Malachians figure that out, they stamp it down. But they keep uh, sort of going along, Luciferians are saying, to some degree. And then, um, you know, really cracking down on that when when they see it and recognize recognize it and then certain things have just advanced even against their will and the reason that that's happened is because as we're moving out of this kali yuga which ends in 2025 the vibration the collective vibration of humanity is rising and it's moving upwards towards that eventually that most high energy but a step in which we have to move through this luciferian kind of era which is represented by the bronze and silver yugas and then you get into the gold yugas and that the last time we had that was like atlantis right and then atlantis fell and then we plunged down into consciousness and now we're we're rising and so um yeah but baal hamon is one is one and the same uh using the term baal is um slightly off that just means the lord it doesn't uh, they would use that term for other than what I call Moloch. So it's Baal Hemon or Hemon is the name of that deity. Or sometimes there's no H on it, it's Amon Baal. But um, yeah, I mean, that's clearly the same deity, and there's many names that this uh, deity has gone by. I mean, I, I'm sure there's names for this being in Asia that I'm not familiar with, for example. You know, because this is hardly something unique to the West, even though the epicenter of a lot of this does seem to be in the, in the Mideast and the West. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when it comes to the Kali Yuga cycle, we've had recently a Vedic astrologer on the show. You are yourself a Vedic astrologer, I, I heard. How do you determine something like that? Is this something that's passed on by elders or people who have kept well, these kind of books? How how do you know it's going to be 2025 that the Kali Yuga shifts? Great question. And my answer is going to seem dodgy to some, but I'm just going to be honest. So um, I have something uh, called clear cognizance. It's a psychic ability. And I just sometimes know things and I can't really prove it. I just know it immediately. Like, for example, I knew something was wrong with September 11th and something had been bothering me all day. And then it hit me about the air defense, like I described earlier. But there's been many, many times where I will hear something that's just wild and outlandish and seems impossible. And I'll just know it's true. Chemtrails, um, you know, evil wizards running the planet, things like that. And I just heard it and immediately I know it's true. And whenever I have that feeling, that knowing that ring of truth, it basically has I don't want to say 100% accuracy rate, but it has a very high uh, hit rate, you know, like pretty close to 100%. And so when I have that feeling, I just know it. And for years and years and years, I've been looking for information on the call you, you again when it ends, when it started, all this kind of stuff, because it's very contentious. So it's not like 
it's not like there's someone came out and like that was it and everyone's like oh yeah we all agree now no 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 people still disagree some people say oh they call you could last like something insane like 432,000 years right some people say they're super ultra giga macro cycles and then mini cycles i don't ascribe to that although that's possible based on like the movement of our galaxy around some center in the universe. But the the great year in the Yuga system to me seems to be tied to the earth and solar system moving around the galactic center. And that, that takes 25,000 ish years. And then you break that up into ages of the age of Aquarius, all that stuff, right? That all, that all interrelates and it, and it ties into this Yuga system. Now there's an Indian, because I always forget this gentleman's name. I'm going to finally look him up during an interview to give him props. So his name is Bib Mizra, and he wrote The End of the Kali Yuga in 2025, Unraveling the Mysteries of the Yuga Cycle, and he wrote it July 15, 2012. Now, I was looking for this for like over a decade, right? Trying to find it, and I looked at a million, billion, trillion, zillion different things, and none of them felt right to me. I didn't like any. And then I found this gentleman's work, and he goes through, in my opinion, every iteration I've ever heard of, and some that I hadn't heard of after a decade of searching. Um, I found this information in like 2018 or 2019, so before the pandemic hit, so quite fascinating. And I instantly knew it was true. True. And there's things that are lining up uh, with it that I think uh, make it give that a little bit more legs, but again, uh, I don't expect other people to just take what I say as the gospel, you know, joke, Bible joke in there. Um, but rather, people should just take what resonates for them and leave the rest. I mean, who do you agree with 100%? Heck, I don't even agree with myself 100% because I question myself and certain beliefs I have. But other people, I'm ecstatic if I meet someone who has like an 80%-ish similar worldview is amazing right and anything higher than that is like now we're talking about close friends or wife material or whatever you know what i mean it's it's pretty rare so we're not going to agree on everything and i don't expect the listener to just be like oh wow he's right about everything so you know take it with a grain of salt but i believe it's true and one of the things i can point to that eh, it's kind of weak evidence but world bank it ends march 31st 2025 funding for COVID. I find that fascinating. Yeah. Um, you know, Deagle uh, reports as well. There's, I don't know if you're familiar with the Deagle report, but it reports, it, you know, predicts that by 2025, there's going to be something like 60 to 70% decline in population here in the United States, which sounds, you know, incredibly drastic, but taken into consideration with what we were discussing earlier in this conversation with the carcinogen being injected into the life blood of this country with this awful spill in a series of environmental disasters. I mean, there's, I can think of enough to count on both hands just in my own lifetime. And yeah, I mean, what, if that, if that means we're heading towards the Kali Yuga, boy, I, I, it does sort of feel like a story, you know, a, a narrative. You mean the ending of the Kali Yuga? Well, yeah, and I, I mean, it, it feels like we're getting to the the grand finale, so to speak, and and the Kali Yuga ends, yes. and and something maybe better is on the horizon, right? Well, it is better. It is better. I mean, it's the Bronze Age. So, I mean, just a simple way of looking at it is, uh, the Malakians will lose twenty five percent of their power, or or excuse me, thirty three percent of their power, because there's only like three phases, really. 
well, maybe 25%. So that's a pretty big reduction. The most high in the Luciferian factions, you know, and again, these aren't necessarily people who are regimented working together in some kind of military level coordination. It's it's more of a, 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 a natural resting state vibration of consciousness. Although there are people who 100% worship Moloch and they are the leaders of that faction. And then people either work with them intentionally with them because they're in the government or whatever kind of low-level thing where they're administrators and they don't even know it of them lock. I worked in government. You could say that I was in against my will leader of that system, right? So um there's there's you know, and it's the same thing in Lucifer side. There's people who are just like, I'm a libertarian Christian, freedom and liberty, but also property rights and contracts because they don't totally trust my neighbors, despite what Jesus said, right? So there's people who are in a Luciferian state of consciousness, actually, which I consider much more evolved, by the way, if that's not clear, who might identify as Christian. So there's that level of people at the tippy top again on that side who I believe very intentionally worship, interact with, and with, and for, as well as Moloch on the other side. And then there's people who do the same thing, such as me. I do magic intentionally, loving forethought, to help lift the vibration of the planet. And I, you know, I feel I'm in alignment with the most high. My state of consciousness on any given day is usually on that kind of top end, the Luciferian consciousness, lower end of that most high consciousness. You know, I still, I'm not quite ready to let someone borrow my $2,000 computer and just trust they're going to get it back. I want to get to that state, but I'm, I'm not quite there yet. You know, if I'm honest, but I do try and strive towards compassion and recognizing that you and all the viewers and everything around us is part of God and we are that and that is us and that we should love thy neighbor as thyself. So there's people like me who are actively working on behalf of the Most High, right? And then there's there's going to be endless factions and groups within all these groups. Uh, you know, and and um, again, most people are just going about their lives and their state of consciousness is whatever it is. That said, I, I am of the opinion that there are people who are at the highest levels of power who are either Luciferian or Malachian and they're clashing with one another. There's even probably people who are more in alignment with the most high or non-dual groups who don't fit any of these categories who also are uh, out there, but the main players on the stage right now in this moment of history are quite clearly the Luciferians and the Malachians. And you said things are heating up. And do you mind if we segue into like current events? Please. Yeah. So on the tinfoil hat podcast, if you'll recall at the very end, I said that I believe things would heat up in a major way in 2023 Right. And I, you know, that interview was uh, sometime in uh, January 20 something if I went up on the 30th. And I also said one of the things that I could see happening, I will be honest, I did not uh, necessarily expect it this year. Um, I thought it was soon, but I was wondering if it wouldn't happen until like 2024, late 2024. And that may yet happen. But the initial stages are rolling out now. One of the things I said is I believe a trigger event to where finally this shadow war would go hot in a very obvious way and that the Luciferians would finally kind of announce themselves as a faction to the Malachians uh, and maybe to the world to some degree. I think there's already awareness, but I don't think it's completely congealed in the minds of the Malachians, or I think they might be behaving a little bit differently than they are. So 
what I believe that event might be is a fake alien invasion. Now, I am of the opinion that I agree with, you know, and I want to give some shout outs to some great researchers out there. Walter Bosley, Dr. Joseph Farrell, Catherine Austin Fitz, um, uh, dark journalist Daniel Liz. These are people, and I mean, there's others out there, but these are, to me, the people that I find to have the most consistency, integrity, quality, and I are kind of like the gold standard in UFO research. Catherine Austin Fitz wouldn't put herself in that category, most likely, but she has looked into an offshoot of that, which I think is just the idea of a secret space program or clandestine space program. I want to move away from not talking about the Corey Good thing. I don't even want to get into really respect and like say that's all true, which boggles my mind. And I don't, I, I haven't seen good evidence for that. I see a lot of statements with no evidence. Whereas, you know, you look at Michael Schratt during the um, uh, secret space program conference, and he just lays out all the technology that shows there's hardcore technology out there. And actually, if you go to DC and you go to the national archives and you pull up the specific like patents and so forth, there's a term out there, and Michael Schratt, look up that, uh, I think it's 2015 Secret Space Program, Michael Schratt's presentation. It's, to me, the platinum standard of UFO. It's on a level completely above and beyond anything that anyone else is doing, in my opinion. And I believe that that's where all these missing trillions, right? Like the famous 2.3 trillion that went missing, right? September 10th. 2001, Rumsfeld comes out and talks about it, and then, oh, darn, the next day, a plane hit right exactly where we had those files, and they all burned up. Oh, golly, gosh, darn it. That sure sucks. Well, Cassin Austin Fitz, and I forget some professor in either Missouri or Montana or something, they've gone mega deep on that, and they discovered that there's all these weird structural accounting trick adjustments that are to their tune of, like, 10 to 50 trillion with the T, 10 to 50 trillion missing since I want to say the seventies, right? Catherine Nelson Fitz also like co-signed onto the whole deep underground military bases because she noticed that elevator stocks were skyrocketing all throughout the eighties and nineties. And she couldn't figure it out because there was no above ground building on earth to where that made sense. But, you know, because it was like millions and millions and millions of dollars of hardcore elevator projects for like mega freight elevators and all this stuff. And it's these deep underground military bases. That's a story for another time. And I'm actually going to, um, uh, I'll announce it here. I'm going to interview, hopefully I haven't nailed it down, but I'm going to interview Phil Schneider's wife. I actually used to work with her weirdly enough. This is the guy who was the first original whistleblower about the dumbs. And he, uh, he died. Uh, and she believes he was murdered. She's basically certain she was murdered. I used to work with her weirdly enough before I got into all this stuff. And she told me about the Mandela effect like a decade before I heard that term. She described it to me exactly. And and I realized that I had had it in my own life a decade before that term came out, like talking early 2000s, she told me this stuff. And she said, yeah, they're manipulating time. They're doing time travel, but they have all kinds of problems with it, et cetera. So interesting aside, but things are, are, are weirder out there than most people realize, even if you're in conspiracy theory. They're much weirder, and it always gets tricky, the discernment piece. And that's why I like these people that I've mentioned. They stay very grounded. They stay very reasonable. And their supposition is essentially that sometime in the 50s, we cracked anti gravity. There was tons and tons and tons of recruiting things put out by all the different uh, military industrial contractors of the 50s and 60s. Mind you, there was like 100 times more than there are now. 
because of the level of consolidation that's happened. So there's like things you've never, you know, companies you've never heard of, but there was ad after ad after ad after ad after ad about electrogravitics and anti-gravity, just tons of them. And clearly like making links between electricity, magnetism, and gravity, right? Which is denied by Einsteinian physics. But, um, you know, there there's older German physics that have to do with plasma and plasma fields that uh, seem to dovetail in vortex mathematics and all the stuff that seem to dovetail into some of these ads that were out there. There's the notorious De Glocke or the Bell that is uh, the most credible Nazi UFO anti-grab thing out there. Um, Joseph Farrell's done a ton of work on it. I'm not going to delve into it too much other than just say they have this bell-shaped object, rotate, counter-rotating fields of plasma. They seem to have effects around gravity uh, and around time. Uh, and also like a lot of radiation. And it seems like perhaps there was some kind of deal brokered to where one of these ended up down in Argentina and or Antarctica. And at least one of these prototypes ended up in the U.S. And the U.S. then starts this space program. There's all kinds of weird stuff about Nazis coming over that don't make any sense in a rocketry program, but they're like plasma physicists. physicists. I think his name's Kurt Davis. I want to say the guy's name was, he was like one of the major high up heads in NASA below Werner von Braun, which he comes up big here in a second. And he was a plasma physicist, but he was in charge of rocketry, which doesn't make any sense. So some people say they cracked anti-grav and the big secret around the moon landing. It's not that it was the way they said, it's not that it didn't happen. The big secret around the moon landing that they don't want people to know is they used anti-grav in those modules. That's how they pop and we'll go pop and come up off the surface and go back, they use anti-gravity. And they also, that anti-gravity thing also maybe shields from like the Van Allen belt problem. But they can't acknowledge any of that if they're keeping this stuff under wraps. So it appears like there is a vast, almost unimaginable, in the secret special access programs, part of the military industrial complex, these UFO technology, for lack of a better word. So in 1967... A book or document came out that's a very contentious document called the report from iron mountain and in it they outline three different scenarios in where in which they could uh, have peace and of course peace in their opinion can only be achieved by a one world government right so this document seems both simultaneously fake but also like it has truth to it like an insider leaked something and then put a bunch of like nonsense and whatever other kind of stuff in it uh, attribution and so forth in order to kind of disguise that it was an insider leak and not give it too much credibility because if it had too much credibility, they would hunt this person down and kill him or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it, it would be dangerous to do a bigger uh, revelation than they did. Who knows what their motivation was, but they outlined three ways in which you could create a world government. Number one, environmental crisis, because that affects the entire globe, Right. You notice they're talking about like climate lockdowns in 15 minute cities, folks, carbon credits, uh, and how that ties into the surveillance blockchain biometric nonsense police state Davos wants to create. Okay, so environment, check, big check. <laughs> A pandemic. Hmm. That's mighty interesting. And the third one is a fake alien invasion. Because it's the one thing that you can bring together warring tribes that hate each other when there's an external threat, and then they both turn outward to face that external threat. 
and it can get over a lot of like pettiness. And you see it in movies and books and stuff where people are fighting and they're both kind of somewhat reasonable. And then an evil outsider comes in as pure evil. And suddenly the two strong men give each other a hug and like, let's defeat the evil. Right. It's that psychological uh, shortcut that they're trying to use with the fake daily invasion. So Dr. Carol Rosen in the 60s or 70s was the personal secretary, private secretary for Werner von Braun, the famed Nazi paperclip rocket scientist. And he told her she needed to dedicate her life to preventing the weaponization of space. Interesting side note about Werner von Braun, he wrote one sci-fi novel in it, there's a leader on Mars. You want to guess what that leader's name is? Me. The leader's name in this round came up with in the 60s? Elon. Ah, Elon. Yeah, yeah. Mars. <laughs> yeah, I think to, I've heard of that. Yeah. Kingdom. That's mighty, mighty, mighty odd, mm. right? But you know, and keep that in mind for future things. So Werner von Braun says, or satellite surveillance and weapons in space, is terror. This is in the freaking 70s, bro, way before 9-11. This one hasn't really happened, but he said, they'll claim the moment for risk, need to weapon. An invasion. Hmm. So during the first Gulf War, there was something called Project Blooming. And what they wanted to do, and they apparently have the technology for this way back in 1991, which is mind-boggling. They wanted to project a hologram over Baghdad of Allah, saying, lay down your weapons in Arabic, so that way uh, the people would just lay down their weapons and let the Americans take over. They decided not to go with it because it was too risky, but they had the ability to put holograms up in the clouds that were massive, and convincing enough to where they almost pulled the trigger in this plan. They decided not to. Most people, when they hear Project Blooming, they've heard about this other one, right? This other idea that there would be a fake alien invasion. And that dovetails in. And so actually uh, a former FBI, uh, FBI guy, I'm blanking on his name. I literally just saw this today. He predicted, uh, redacted, uh, redacted the show, the YouTube channel, uh, they're, they have a piece about this, and I can't remember what episode, but if, if you type in the right keywords, you might be able to find it. Anyways, this FBI director said, uh, or not director, but higher-up guy said, they're prepping to do a fake daily invasion. Last year, this dude said this, apparently. So if you have the ability to project holograms, that's nice, but that's not really convincing, right? Like, no one's going to fall for just holograms alone. But now imagine that you have, say, a few hundred of these vehicles, right? Because they're probably not mass produced, I would guess. And they're probably prohibitively expensive to create. And they probably just haven't made many because the logistics and difficulties of keeping it under wrap as you expand production of these things would become harder and harder and harder. So I'm guessing they have a limited number of these. I'm just gonna ballpark and say they have a thousand or less. Now a thousand uh, is a lot if it's all in one city, but imagine now instead you split it into 10 cities, or I mean, uh, 100 cities that each have 10 of these actual UFOs, right? But driven by humans. And then you have a hologram of hundreds of them above the city. But then you have the 10 real ones come down and go, brap, 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 and blow stuff up with lasers and stuff. That's going to be really convincing. And it's going to look like a massive invasion. 
even though there's actually just 10 of these things. But it can be more frightening to have this hologram in the background. So fast forward to recent events with all that context. Um, you have these, we have the Chinese balloon, which doesn't make any sense. It flies over, they don't do anything, then they shoot it down. Then there's rumblings and rumors from unnamed government officials. Oh, this happened in the Trump administration. Trump comes out real quick like and said, no way, that never happened. You know, like, I would have shot that down right away the minute it entered American airspace. It would have been huge. You know, he just like, and of course he would have. He would have shot it down and then said F you to the Chinese and made a big deal about it. This is exactly what Trump would do. That rings true to me. So Trump, uh, back in 2020, you know, Trump was still president and COVID happened. And something very unusual happened very quickly after the pandemic is uh, announced. And that is, we start hearing suddenly from this general named General Shaughnessy. Okay, and I want to credit dark journalist Daniel Liz here for this work that I'm basing off his reporting research. I've verified it. He's correct. But this is not original reporting on my part. I want to give credit to Daniel Liz. With that in mind, General Shaughnessy comes out and starts talking about, oh, continuity of government. So continuity of government, something came up in the 50s, is that if there's a decapitating nuclear strike then we obviously need the government to keep going. And so what we'll do is we'll have generals and civilians from infrastructure, and they'll work together to sort of reboot the government out of bunkers after the Soviets uh, nuked DC, right? That was just a scenario they had. And that's not even super unreasonable to like want to think about that, right? Because what if, what if somehow Russia got one through and nuked us? We'd be sitting ducks if we didn't have some kind of fallback. So it starts out as kind of reasonable. Well, that continuity of government just grows and grows and grows. And it has maximum next level secrecy, maximum next level secrecy. Only this UFO aspect seems to have a greater level of secrecy than this continuity of government. And it starts popping up in weird ways. So Professor Peter Dale Scott has done a lot of research about this continuity of government. And he pointed out that whenever there's a what he calls a deep event, right? So JFK, 9-11, COVID, suddenly these continuity of government people pop up. And in fact, and I haven't been able to verify this, but it's probably true. Supposedly, the Doomsday Network, which is a very secure phone line basically between bunkers and no way in, no way to get at it, no way to reach that signal, very hard and very uh, resistant, you know, a direct line, a single line, you know, between various different bunkers, hardwired in. That line was supposedly used to discuss the parade route with JFK. There, there definitely was some kind of communication around it. There was communication on it for sure on 9-11. So now you have COVID happens, and now it comes to O'Shaughnessy, and he goes, we might need to enact continuity of government, which, by the way, has been running things since October 2001 when Bush activated it. It's never been rescinded. It's never been rescinded. So technically, these people probably already run things. So he comes up and goes, we might need to do continuity of government. And, you know, like, what if everybody in Congress and Trump got it? Well, we might have to take over. So don't worry, we'll take over. And he was all in NORAD in the bunker and stuff, and you know, people are like, oh, this is interesting. So then later that fall, right before the election, Trump gets COVID. Suddenly O'Shaughnessy comes out again and is like, hey, you know, this is sketchy of Trump's in there. Maybe we need to do con continuity of government. You never hear of this guy? Nothing. And all of a sudden he's talking about how maybe he should just be taking over now openly. So Trump pops out of the hospital like the next day, right? And all of a sudden that guy, O'Shaughnessy, resigns. He's in his 50s. Peak health, right, you know, has probably worked his entire career, certainly has worked his entire career to get to that level. That is not a job you give up. 
that's a job that you keep until you're too old and they kick you out. So he had at least a decade left, at least a decade. He might've been in there 20 years or more, right? Under normal circumstances. Suddenly it seems like he's fired because he resigns in this new general, General Van Herc, who's from, I want to say it's the 181st Airborne. Might be wrong about that. Don't quote me on the number, but he's from the same Airborne group that oversaw the wreckage around Roswell, weirdly enough. Okay, and and that relates because, right, UFO milieu here. So this Van Herc guy takes over. Then Trump loses, air quotes, the election, right? I, I believe he won. I believe it's stolen. But he's lost the election now. And what does Trump do? He fires Esper. I don't believe that has ever happened in American history to where a lame duck president has fired the Secretary of Defense rather than letting them just run out the clock and get replaced by the new administration. So that's a big fuck you and slap in the face to Mark Esper, then Defense Secretary. And it seems like, and there is some rumor that it was related to this attempt by continuity of government to just take over from Trump. And that Trump didn't like that. And he had the pull within the hidden part of the government to get this guy fired, which is pretty intense and kind of puts Trump on a different level when you think about it. Or Trump somehow threatened them that he would expose this or something because it's super weird that that guy resigns. O'Shaughnessy. So Van Hurt takes over. So now you have this balloon, right? And you start having rumors, oh, it happened under Trump. Trump comes out and says, no way, never happened, right? Then out comes Esper. And you'd think Esper fucking hates Trump. Like, I believe he's writing a tell-all book about Trump being a piece of shit kind of thing. He hates Trump. He may have had a personal interest in that if they're saying that there was balloon penetration and Esper didn't pass that on to Trump, it's possible there's even criminal charges there. So he might have been coming out from a self-interested place. Regardless, he agrees with Trump. He says that never happened. There was no balloons uh, on Trump's watch. Never happened. General Van Herc crawls out of the bunker and starts talking to media. And he goes, oh, no. There was multiple penetrations. What? So what, you don't tell Esper or the president? That should raise red flags immediately. He goes, oh, you know, and our our, uh, our our radar and surveillance ain't so good. The fuck are you kidding me? Like, the, the, the satellites are practically, literally, practically smashing into each other. There's so many of them and surveilling so much. There's not a fucking chance on Earth when they can read a, a license plate underground Supposedly, they can read license plates underground, but they can read a license plate right now of a car parked on the street, but they don't see this massive-ass balloon with school bus-sized cameras and stuff on it. Not a chance. Very weird. So why would he say that? Then he says something even weirder. He goes, yeah, so the way we were able to find it this time is thanks to this new office investigating unidentified aerial phenomenon. It's a super long acronym. I can't remember, but Christine Gillibrand made it. Right. That was a woman who ran for uh, she ran for president in 2020 and she stopped this agency full of CIA people. The CIA people came last summer. Most people missed this. There was just absolutely insane testimony on the floor of Congress talking about alien abductions with people becoming pregnant with hybrids was being said on the floor of Congress. But by who? by all these CIA agents. And all these CIA agents are copying and pasting classic abduction stories, classic alien threat stories, and regurgitating them as though it happened to them. Isn't that lucky that just all these people who had UFO phenomenon all happened to work for the CIA? And now a lot of them are getting pushed into this new thing that Christine Gillibrand 
faded. And so Van Hurt goes, thank God they were looking for aliens. They're the ones that helped us find that balloon. And someone then asked Van Hurt after these then shoot downs happened, right? Right on the heels of this UFO shoot downs, right? Justin Trudeau. In fact, let me take a step back for that. This is super weird. Last summer, Justin Trudeau and Christina Freeland, the defense secretary and super WF hatchet woman up there in Canada, super scary, that woman, Christina Freeland, her and Trudeau come to the U.S. That's mildly weird. The defense secretary of Canada coming to the U.S., a little weird, right? But what's hyper weird is they go to Cheyenne Mountain and they meet with General Van Herc. Now we're shooting down over the Yukon, shooting down over Canada with Canada support. Trudeau's, I gave the order and I'm swinging my dick around and I worked with NORAD and we shot that down. I worked directly with NORAD. Notice he doesn't say I worked directly with President Biden. He says NORAD, short circuits the president straight to NORAD. Interesting, right? Especially given this meeting. So Van Hurt comes out and says, oh, thanks to that alien office, we were able to find this stuff because they were looking in the right place. And someone goes, well, these UFOs getting shot down. Are you uh, ready to, we can rule out aliens, right? And he goes, oh, I don't think we can rule anything. And they're like, are you saying that these were extraterrestrials? And he said, oh, no, you know, I don't actually know. But this new office, they know, they're the experts, trust the experts. And it seems they're positioning this new agency, which again is this long gobbledygook nonsense, this new agency is being set up to be like the CDC or WHO, the way they functioned during the COVID pandemic, right? The absolute experts do what they say. Don't look at any closer. They're the experts. Oh, I guess we have experts say, right? It seems this agency is being set up for that. And Van Herc, even though he would be in a cognitive government situation, he would take over. He's making it go, oh, well, I wouldn't make these decisions on my lonesome. It's a good thing we have this new spy agency that specializes in UFOs and is stuck to the gills with ex-CIA folks. So with all that context, you put into place these ships all over the world to fake an alien invasion, right? Now, if the Luciferian faction tried to move those ships, that would be noticed. And the Malachians would almost certainly put a stop to that. They'd be like, why are you moving these incredibly important assets? Sets, right? Even though the Luciferians have control, I believe, like close to absolute control over this ultra tech stuff, this X tech, whatever you want to call it, the Malachians have control of almost everything on the ground. All the levers of power, the money, the, the phone cables, almost everything, the militaries and the Air Force. If the Luciferians tried to just use those weapons on their own, they would likely lose. Even though they have like way sophisticated whatever, they just they, they couldn't keep up against the media, the money, the militaries, all the people of the earth thinking they're being attacked. It wouldn't work. But now imagine that you dupe the Malachians into going forward with this fake alien invasion. You get them to move your assets to different countries around the world. The Malachians pull the trigger on it, likely also with an internet outage at the same time. Because that always happens in coups. The first thing they take out is, in olden days, newspapers and radios and television stations. So in modern era, of course, it's going to be the internet, right? You take that out, everything goes black, and then those the alien invasion begins. But instead of just blowing up the cities, they fly to a Rothschild chateau and go, rap, 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 or arrest them. 
They go around to these different Malachian things and just wipe them the fuck out under the cover of darkness. And then they can emerge after the fact and go, look, we saved you from these pedophile, banker, horrible, evil people. And now we're going to have trials. And we're also going to release like our alien friends or however they want to, or they were suppressing the technology, however they want to spin it. They'll also bring out the technology at that point, I believe. And that will grease the skids for them to take over because everyone's going to look at all that and go, well, wow, these Epstein child rapist fucking banker scumbags who tried to kill us all with COVID. Fuck them. Yeah. And you stopped it. You're the heroes. You should take over. You have the divine right of kings kind of energy to it, right? So if you look carefully, you can see all over the place there's a groundwork being laid for a few different things. The Epstein style abuse of children never goes away. They just dropped the log this week, right? Big news. Like they just unre- uh, they just released some of the trial records about people who visited Epstein Island. So interesting that this just doesn't go away. No matter how hard the Moluccans try and clamp it down, that story just doesn't go away. It went away for a while, and just to keep things brewing, Olenciaga pops up, which would, to me looked like an intelligence operation telling people that this is you know a, a child exploitation ring. And it's Italian, too, so it gets in people's head, Italian, 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 right? So you also see the banking thing is being called out more and more in crypto circles and elsewhere about fiat currencies. That's another Achilles heel of the Malachians, but also absolutely central to their control, right? Blackmail around children, banking. And then the third thing, which isn't, uh, but they're attempting to use it to create a control thing, is COVID. But they did just try to kill everyone. And if you look, there's more and more information flooding out about these vaccines are deadly. It's really obvious it was intentional. So you see the groundwork being laid for all these things that show that the ruling elite need to be cast down. And of course, the Luciferians want to rise and fill that void. And so I believe that if indeed we see that uh, alien invasion thing kick off this year, which, by the way, I'm going to predict that if it happens this year, I think it will happen before June. And the reason I say that, and I know that's an insane, bold call. The reason I say that is the Fed now digital dollar goes in right around that time. And one of the rumors I haven't been able to track down is that insiders who've blown the whistle on Project Bluebeam said that it would be implemented at the exact time that they switch over to uh, central bank digital currency and that it would be used to get everyone focusing on that when they try and put this other thing in place. So I realized that that was a mega info dump, but uh, I wanted to give all the appropriate context because, I mean, this is huge what's happening. Huge. Yeah, no, I appreciate you taking it at length. We are coming up to the the top of the hour of the recording here, and I don't want to keep you all day. So before we go, White Lotus of Light is your YouTube channel. Do you have anywhere else where people can go to support you and and check out your work? Are you primarily on YouTube or are there other places as well? Yeah, I'm primarily on YouTube. If people are interested in um, having their uh, Vedic chart done, like their natal chart for the first 40 years of life or the Navamsa chart for the second 40 years of life, which for me is like very dichotomous. My first 40 years sucked and my chart shows it. My second 40 years have been awesome so far. My chart shows that. So if you're under 40 or in your early 40s, perhaps there's light at the end of the tunnel. Or if you're puzzled why things have changed so much, 
uh, since you turned 40, it might be why. Some people it's fairly consistent, but a lot of people see very significant change. It's sometimes called the the tree is the natal chart and the fruit of the tree is the Navansa uh, among the North Indians. And so if you're interested in that and learning about karmas and things that are going to happen in your life, this isn't about uh, psychological reflection or spirituality the way most Western astrology is. It's more about faded karmic events that are going to play out in your life. And like I can see things like my car wreck and becoming an astrologer full time. And, um, you know, even stuff about like, you know, partners and when I would get married and kid and stuff like that. I mean, it, it, it actually is all there. Um, and it's quite incredible. And so if you're interested in that, uh, whitelotusoflight.com, I also teach angelic magic. If you're interested in learning how to use the hermetic principles and, um, the angels to affect change in your life, that's something else. That I teach. I also do uh, spiritual counseling of a more generic sort. And then I have my YouTube channel where I talk on my uh, long-winded random rants, such as we talked about today, the Shadow Wars and the Venetian Black Nobility. And I also um, try and interview people that I find particularly interesting, people like Walter Bosley, uh, Peter Champu, the geomancer you mentioned earlier, uh, <clears throat> Mark Stavish, talking about egregores, a, a, a magical occult concept interviewed uh, uh, Timothy Hogan, the grand grandmaster of my Templar order, um, Laura Eisenhower, the great granddaughter of Dwight D. Eisenhower. So I've, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of cool guests and I have uh, other people uh, coming up in the future. And so, yeah, that's whitelotusoflight.com and YouTube, or you can also find me on, um, I, I'm moving more and more to BitChute and Rumble, but I'm way behind on uh, updates on BitChute and my Rumble presence is zero currently, but I, plan to and possibly odyssey as well because of censorship so wonderful wonderful thank you so much ian for joining us here any final thoughts before we wrap up yeah i mean um i just want to remind everyone to please maybe take the time to uh write congressperson you know believe me i get the government's corrupt and basically lost but we do really need to figure out ways uh to help the people in east palestine ohio and west virginia forth and to raise awareness about it uh, and make sure this doesn't just go away because it's not going to go away for the people and the environment affected on it. No way, not without um, a lot of clean help. And I I really do want to remind people about that and how important that is. Uh, And the second thing I would say is this, this might be a little, um, you know, alarming to people, but I I feel it's my duty to say this. I really encourage everyone to look at what happened in East Palestine and just other natural disasters, Katrina, what have you. And, you know, perhaps you might think that you're not in a natural disaster area, but there can be non-natural disasters, economic collapse and so forth. And I believe that there, um, we're entering a, a period of, uh, you know, real challenges, tribulations. Um, I believe that people who are listening to this podcast are way more likely to do well in that scenario than the average person. But, you know, they say God favors the prepared. And I think that it's just wisdom to have enough Food that'll last without refrigeration, water, um, you know, water filters, medicine of any kind that your family needs on an ongoing basis, maybe some silver or gold, maybe um, cryptocurrencies that resonate for you, although that one's a little more speculative, you know, um, you know, maybe some Bitcoin so you can leave quickly with just the codes in your head, the keys in your head. Um, uh, and if you have the means to get out of cities, I recommend it. I'm not even kidding. I wish I was. And if, if, uh, if not, keep in mind that you will, if you can remain calm and not be too reactionary, you'll be able to navigate those situations because the resonance of violence and chaos attracts itself. And if you can be a little more prepared and a little less reactionary, you can 
and move through that safely and escape. People have been through incredible things where they shouldn't have survived and they did, and that can be you. But ways you can help is preparing with physical things and also building community, finding like-minded people near you, physically near you. And Facebook tries to prevent this. It doesn't recommend people who live near us. It recommends people who are far away. So we stay online. They can record everything. Find local community. Start building it. Find family members who are waking up. Find old friends. Find new people. But seriously, you know, maybe through it could be through a religious or spiritual group. It could be through through a activities group of some kind. Start building community. Start thinking about what you would do if things go wrong. And I say this out of love. I don't say this to scare anyone. I say this because I want you to do well, no matter the circumstance. And the worst case scenario is you spent some money on getting supplies that are just simply a good idea. And you can always eat that food. You can always drink that water. You can always go and sell that gold and silver eventually or Bitcoin or whatever, right? And what's so bad about creating community, right? And starting to thrive again locally, starting to connect with our fellow humans. But most of all, I would say now is a time more than ever to get in tune with yourself and to find that coherence within yourself and to deal honestly with your show as much as you can which will help you to be less reactionary when and if a chaotic situation emerges in your experience, which I hope it does not. So please take care of yourself. And remember, self-care is not selfish. It's really important, actually. And so be sure you're doing self-care in addition to taking care of your loved ones. Both are very important. Mm-hmm. Well said. I appreciate us ending on a upbeat note. For all those mm-hmm. who tuned in, please do go and support Ian and all the amazing conversations he's already published on YouTube. Go and subscribe, hit that notification button. Uh, and while you're there, make sure you're subscribed to the My Family Think Some Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and immerse yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into this episode with Ian Ferguson. Be sure to go check him out at White Lotus of Light on YouTube. Of course, we've got a bunch of new listeners. Uh, shout out to all the new listeners. Shout out to all the new patrons who have signed up recently. We're going to do some shout outs in the next uh, Wednesday episode for all of our new patrons. And uh, yeah big shout out to everybody who has found the show recently maybe you heard me on the confessionals podcast for the first time or one of my many other appearances forbidden knowledge news uh tinfoil hat even there's there's still people who who find tinfoil hat and then they find me and they <laughs> find the alistair crowley episode there's just a, a mention of it on the latest episode of broken sim actually one of the callers shout out to them but anyways 
Here we are in the outro of the show, and I just want to remind everybody, like I always do, where they can go to support the show. Of course, I always appreciate one-time donations or uh, monthly, if you could do it monthly. The best way to do that is through Rockfin, Patreon, or Substack, but if you'd like to support the show with one-time donation, help me pay rent, help me pay the bills, help me pay for the hosting and the websites... Uh, actually, this month I have to pay uh, the website hosting fee. So, yeah, um, I belayed it last month and uh, now I have to pay it. So, <laughs> here we are. I could use all the help I can get, folks. Still working out the kinks with running a podcast full time. This is my sole source of income outside of some odd jobs that I do here and there, and of course, booking for the great Sam Tripoli on Tinfoil Hat. I actually had the honor of going down to New Jersey last Thursday to hang out with Sam. It was a great time. Was it last Thursday or the Thursday before? Jeez, time is moving fast. It was not last Thursday, but uh, but yeah, it's it's the most... Actually, have I recorded an episode since then? Maybe I've already shouted this out. I don't know. Maybe I've already mentioned this, shouted it out. Well, I still want to mention it because uh, Mike Romanelli is a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Tiff's and the Dojo of Comedy over there in Morris Plains, New Jersey. Uh, Sam Tripoli, of course, was there at the Dojo. So go check out the Dojo if you're in the New Jersey, New York area. You want to check out some good comedy, eat some good food. They got it all. We're trying to do more live podcasts there and uh, they do have a podcast studio upstairs. Hopefully one day they'll have some uh, chairs and some accommodations in there. We can do a live My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast in front of a studio audience. That would be wacky. I would have props. I would have a desk to sit behind. It would be incredible. So, all the more reason to support the show so we can keep growing, so we can keep pushing things forward. I want to get a new camera so we can do more uh, in-the-field content creating this coming uh, spring and summer. You know, we've been driving around, going on different scene journeys for a couple of years now, and it's, it's a lot of fun. And I'd like to be able to document it in a way that makes sense and we can share it with you here on the show and, of course, on YouTube, Rockfin, or Substack, Patreon, too. So, yeah. And if you haven't seen, there is a way you can support the show with YouTube. You can send us a super chat. Shout out to our homie who sent us a super chat. Shout out to the homie who bought me some books. Shout out to Peter. He was so kind to get me a copy of Mystery of the Cathedrals, the Encyclopedia of Ancient Giants in America, and another uh, book by Wooden Press about earth grids and and ley lines, essentially. So that's awesome. I really appreciate that. If people want to buy me a gift, you can go over to the Amazon page, find it on the website. And uh, yeah, there's a whole list there of books I recommend. But if you, if you have something in mind, please feel free. There's a way you can do that. 
uh, just go to myfamilythinksomecrazy.com of course one-time donations are awesome and i also should mention i've recently put some jewelry that i created myself this is a really really special way that you could support the show uh, it's a very personal way i create all of these wraps myself by hand uh, with my heart so some of them i really don't want to part with so if you look at the prices you're like oh my gosh that's a lot of money well it's for a very special person some high rollers if you're a high roller and you want to show off your uh, loyalty to the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast well i've got a treat for you i've got two pieces we got the master wrap which is the biggest wire wrap i've ever created it's an amethyst monster it's huge if you love festivals if you love going out and having you know some really really incredible vibes this is a great piece to do that it's not only going to grab people's eyes but it's all amethyst so it's going to protect you it's going to channel energy into your third eye it's also got some pietrocyte or uh, tempest stone to harness that energy and to initiate a higher mindset or an elevated mindset so yeah, I really never thought I would part with this one, but for the right price, people, uh, you can do it. You know, that price there is, uh, you know, the uh, base price, but you can always pay more. That's the cool option with Ko-Fi. If you really want to support the show, you don't have to pay the base price. You can pay more. But the Master Wrap is already very, very expensive. Uh, again, don't really want to part with it unless it's for the right special person. And the other one, which is uh, equally kind of expensive, I call it the uh, Mayan Head, the Astronaut Head, the Shaman's Head. This is a variety of different interpretations, but it kind of looks like someone wearing a helmet. Uh, the main crystal is the face and the design around it kind of looks like someone wearing an elaborate helmet with maybe even like a chin strap or a mouthpiece so uh, you be the judge you check that one out that one's a really unique interesting design it's one of a kind and i made it myself so if you want to support the show that's a great way to do it go and check out my wire wraps uh, crystals they're all real crystals no acrylic or plastic uh, and copper wiring so you can channel the energy uh, one of them is silver plated copper but it's still uh, conductive metal so you'll be fine but either way let me know what you think folks let me know what you think check it out on ko-fi uh, i have smaller pieces that are a little cheaper and uh yeah so if that, that that's the kind of thing you like to wear that's a great way to support the show it's something that i've done for quite a while way longer than uh podcasts uh, i've been wrapping jewelry for over five years i think back when people used to call me hippie mark <laughs> and i would always correct them and say i'm not a hippie because eh, that's too much too much baggage with that term but speaking of baggage this outro is getting uh, a little long so shout out to all the supporters of the show like i said i'm gonna get a shout out for all our new patrons in the next episode and for everybody tuning in thank you so much can't do it without you have a great moment wherever you are in the now
MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 